Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. A PB&J partner is somebody who offers a highly complimentary service to the same client base. For me, my PB&J partners that I refer literally every day are my IP attorney, Sharon Turek from Legal and Creative, Mm. CPAs, graphic designers, marketing agencies, branding agencies, photographers, videographers, video editors. These are people who have a highly complimentary service. And so as one place to start where you're looking to expand referrals in your business, you could ask your ideal clients, who are other service providers that you have that are your favorites mm-hmm. that are offering complimentary services? And if you have a strong relationship, you could ask them, are you comfortable just making an introduction? That first step could be where you simply just do learn more about them. You know, I heard you were amazing from our shared client. Tell me a little bit more about what you do. Mm. And that's the way you begin to build these relationships. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Hey, before we get started today, I'd like to ask you to please leave me a review if you're enjoying the show. Just go to friend dot nicepodcast.co and you can leave a review and let me know how you're enjoying the show. Of course, your reviews matter because they help others discover the show. And they also are a nice way to say thanks and to let me know that you're enjoying things. And today's featured review is from Jason Falls, who wrote, love Dave's attitude and spirit. He's bringing more happiness to the world. And I love that he's doing it for businesses too. And Jason left five stars, which is really nice. Thanks, Jason. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing technology companies retain talent and improve culture so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Pam Smith. I already messed up your name. Good Lord in the morning. Today, I'm speaking with Pam Slim, an award-winning author, speaker, and business coach who works with small business owners ready to scale their businesses and IP. She's the author of Escape from Cubicle Nation and Body of Work and The Widest Net, which just came out in November. Pam and her husband, Daryl, co-founded the Ka Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, a lovely, lovely place that I visited. Um, And they host scores of diverse community leaders there and regular small business programming as well, which is just such a cool thing. Pam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So how I always like to start these things with, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh my gosh, what a great question. (laughs) I'm going to go with, there's actually a lot, but I'm going to go with my neighbor downtown. As you said, we have a a learning lab space right in the middle of Main Street downtown Mesa. Mm -hmm. And my neighbor, a couple doors down, Chris, who runs a clothing store, just about every day, 
sweeps in front of my office. So not only does he do it for himself, but he comes down a few doors and sweeps just to make sure that everything is nice and neat. And I just think that is one of the kindest things that anybody has ever done. That is super cool. That is super sweet. Uh, what a nice, yeah, that's a super nice gesture to to do that. And uh, yeah, no, I love that. And I love, I love your, your neck of the woods there or neck of the desert, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a, a cool space. Tell, tell us a little bit about it uh, for those who are unfamiliar. Yeah. So Mesa is just about 20 minutes from the Phoenix airport. Mm. And we have a downtown area that is going through a lot of really exciting transformation. And so we opened up, my husband and I opened up a space about five years ago, really with the intention of having a place where people can explore and dream. Having spent 10 years as a management consultant in Silicon Valley, it feels like almost a typical conference room where there's a whiteboard wall and lots of cool creative ideas flying around. We wanted to make that very accessible right in the middle of Main Street in ways that most Main Street business owners generally don't have access to. So we've been there for about five years and have engaged all kinds of community. We tend to focus on business owners of color. My husband is Navajo. Mm -hmm. And so we do a lot of work with Native entrepreneurs, Black entrepreneurs, Latinx, Asian entrepreneurs. And so it's just a always interesting place with lots of action happening. I mean, of course, after the quarantine, <laughs> we were all in our homes safely, but now we're just slowly starting to kick back up, up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is how is things going as far as the, the, that recovery? I'm sure, you know, uh, having an event space like that, which is just such a special place. But during the the pandemic, I'm sure it must have not been uh, not been the greatest time. Well, it is. But what's really interesting about it, and I do share with great pride uh, about the relationships that were built with with ourselves, with so many amazing partners downtown. So everything from the city of Mesa to nonprofits uh, like Rail, Retail Arts Innovation Livability, a, a nonprofit that's very active in the neighborhoods. We actually didn't lose any businesses hmm. during all the shutdown, which is kind of amazing. And we didn't hear the same thing in other places. And we think a lot of it, we mean the collective, all the ecosystem partners, because we care. We knew who everybody was. We had a ways of connecting and we really leveraged the kind of support that people got for what they actually needed. So the nonprofit partner rail, they did a lot of standing more than six feet apart from the business owner, walking them through how to fill out a PPP loan or right. some of the, the recovery funds. And I really do feel great pride in, in the way that we've come together. And to me, it speaks to this deeper need of uh, often when we talk about, you know, having a community that's really connected that can help each other. Uh, you often know that you need it once mm. you need it. <laughs> and it's yeah. too late by that point if you haven't done that nurturing. So it's why I'm always, I know you're very much this way as well. I'm a big fan of making slow connections every day through time yeah. so that you can celebrate together. And then when times get tough, you know who to call. No, it's it's very true. I mean, that is really the essence of, of networking nicely, right? Like the whole idea of of building, yeah, building great relationships uh, over time, as you're saying, and and then yeah, and then being there. I, I yeah, I'm all about sort of the call it what you want karma, but you know, planting those seeds and and just yeah, trying to help others, you know, and then yeah, if you need help one day, well, you know, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> they'll be there for you. Yeah, that's right. And it it is a more relational way. A lot of what I, I experienced through our work and then also in writing the book is there are different ways that people tend to think about networking. And again, I think you and I are very aligned philosophically, which is why we've been friends for a really long time. Yeah. But there there can be a very transactional way that you look at networks where you're just trying to connect with the most powerful people or who have the most influence or look at building your newsletter list or your LinkedIn profile to have numbers of connections. And it is, we know that sometimes in the case of companies that are trying to recruit great talent, you sometimes do need to have a, a broad network in order to make those connections. But mm. really what makes a difference, we're sure seeing this right now with everything around the great resignation and just the, the shortage of talent, people really do make decisions more and more based on the kind of relationships that they have. And when they feel like somebody is approaching business in a relational way, meaning yeah. human beings caring about the entire person, 
not just connecting immediately looking for something in return, but being willing to connect with somebody interesting who's part of your ecosystem and then slowly getting to know each other. I just think people are are demonstrating with their feet (laughs) that (laughs) those are the kinds of companies they want to work with and for. And for small business owners that I work with every day, the ones that are really successful at that are the ones that are still thriving despite lots of adversity from the pandemic. Yeah, you know, I've run into my own challenges since sort of pivoting what I was what I've been doing with Future Forth and you know, the fact that now I'm I'm really trying to reach, you know, technology leaders who run, you know, small but fast growing tech companies. And I've always struggled with this in a sort of I, I I've stopped myself a long time ago from saying I'm terrible at sales because I'm good at sales when I believe in what I sell and I do believe in what what I'm selling but at the same time it's interesting because you know in this day and age now I like I've always had this feeling that I don't want to come off <laughs> like I'm trying to sell something I want to come off and and find out if what I have is a good fit but even more so, I just want to be friends. <laughs> like I want to be friends with everyone. Well, yeah. I mean, and I, I think <laughs> it is it is very smart to be deliberate about language. The more t- time that goes by in my life, I realize it is important to be deliberate, especially with things like saying, uh, for example, you know, when I'm building my business, it is so uncomfortable if I'm reaching out to somebody who I have no connection with whatsoever yeah. and immediately trying to sell them my services. Right. As opposed to when I think about you and your strengths, that I'm excited to connect with people who I know are generally in my space to learn more about each other. And then when we have a relationship that's beginning to form where we can begin to just openly talk about what each other does Mm. and learn about each other with curiosity and then begin to make those connections. That's part of what is, is the in, in the book and part of looking at really the way methodically you can begin to build this more community focused approach to building a business or building a community. The way we naturally connect as humans, there is that whole first part where you really are just getting to know somebody. If it's a neighbor that just moves into your neighborhood, you're not immediately going to run to their front door and ask them if if they want to, you know, try to sell them something. Mm -hmm. You're going to welcome them, maybe bring over some cupcakes or, you know, something to eat. You're going to have little conversations as each of you are getting ready to, you know, go in and out of the house, go to work. And through time, naturally... If there is a vibe, if there's a good connection that you have, then you're probably going to feel safe asking a little bit more questions about what they do. Mm. And a lot of, I find, what we can do to ourselves where we're trying to activate business development um, or a lot of what I see with clients is that nervousness comes in when at that very first touch, you're essentially skipping a bunch of steps of just connecting with somebody, introducing yourself getting to know them in the case of something like LinkedIn, following their content, commenting a little bit back and forth, and then having the conversation. Mm. So I know this is 101 of what you do. And to me, that's an example of you do that naturally. Yeah. And so maybe the edge for other people who relate like you, it's finding those spots when you do begin to have a natural opening where you have mutual curiosity about each other's services or products of shifting your mindset where it's not that, oh my gosh, now I'm going to go into the selling mode, but more clearly framing exactly what that conversation is, which is generally, you know, excitement about what it is that you're building Mm -hmm. because we know it's amazing and genuine curiosity to see what it is that they're doing, what are the kinds of problems or challenges that they have, and then where you start to see some places where things fit. It's like we have that experience as a consumer. It's funny, right? We don't, as a consumer often get super stressed out. Mm. If we're going on a hiking trip and we go into a store and somebody like shares a really great pair of hiking boots or (laughs) tells us about it, that feels good. That feels like a problem solved. The same thing happens in a business case where somebody's sharing what they're working on. You say, well, you know what? I actually have a webinar on that topic or I have a team building uh, activity we can do. It feels good when Mm. it's something that's connecting. So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and I think maybe being being that sort of point person or being out out and about and listening 
to the to the challenges that people in your network or people that, uh, you know that you know are are facing so that you can be the one to to offer ideas and whether that's hiking boots and you have nothing to do with with that industry but you you've got a pair that you love and you would recommend that you know versus recommending your your own services and what have you um and and it kind of gets to the you know the, the one of the the core parts of your book or one thing that really stood out to me and again it's the widest net which is your your latest book which all your books are awesome i recommend them all um but but in the widest net you talk about the you know your jelly to your peanut butter and uh, kind of gets into what we're talking about. Could you want to share a little bit of details about that? And we'll make everybody hungry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, a core concept in the book, just to frame what the what the method is. So typically, a lot of the ways we've been taught to build a business is what I call the empire model. So you can think about yourself as being that that center where you're just trying to draw everybody towards you. And <clears throat> that can be uncomfortable for people where they feel like they're just constantly talking about themselves mm. and trying to draw everybody to them. In the ecosystem model, which is at the heart of the widest net, you center your ideal customer and really looking at what they're trying to do. So my clients, they're trying to grow a business or they're trying to scale their business. And then usually naturally around them, there is this entire ecosystem of places, associations, products that they use, other service providers that they're looking to in order to help solve their problem. Mm. So in my case, I am one of many people that my clients work with with the end goal of growing or scaling their business. Hmm. So PB&J partners fit in this slice of the ecosystem wheel. I have 10 different segments of that wheel in the book. But the, the segment of service providers, as an example, is <clears throat> a, a PB&J partner is somebody who offers a highly complementary service to the same client base. Hmm. For me, my PB&J partners that I refer literally every day are my IP attorney, Sharon Turek from Legal and Creative, hmm. CPAs, graphic designers, marketing agencies, branding agencies, photographers, videographers, video editors. These are people who have a highly complimentary service. And so as one place to start where you're looking to expand referrals in your business, you could ask your ideal clients, who are other service providers that you have that are your favorites mm. that are offering complimentary services? And if you have a strong relationship, you could ask them, are you comfortable just making an introduction? That first step could be where you simply just do learn um, more about them. You know, I heard you were amazing from our shared client. Tell me a little bit more about what you do. Mm. And that's the way you begin to build these relationships. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And I love that too, because then you start you, you start broadening your own uh, relations really with, with, you know, professional relations, because then you can start to promote them to your, your own people as well. And, and I guess that, that <clears throat> sort of fits into the, some of the tiny marketing, marketing actions that you talk about throughout the book, the, the TMAs. Do you want to share some, some details about that? Absolutely. So the, when you understand where are those places in person or online where you want to be connecting, which I call watering holes. So that could be everything from a favorite association that maybe has many chapters across the country, right, that you can begin to connect with as ecosystem partners, or uh, maybe there are key peanut butter and jelly partners, other service providers that you want to connect with, or a podcast that is a favorite for your ideal customers. Tiny marketing actions are really big breaking down marketing activities into really, really small, almost insultingly small steps. <laughs> so that whenever I, when, one of the stories I tell in the book is my client, Carly Cunningham, who is an amazing Canadian like you by origin, a brand consultant in Vancouver. And when, when we first started working together and we were, she actually was one of the main inspirations for breaking down tiny marketing actions. Mm. She was very, you know, smiling and willing to do the work in front of me. But she told me afterwards, she was kind of grumbling, like, are you kidding me taking these little tiny actions of just sending a couple emails or reaching out or commenting on somebody's post that just sounds like I'm never going to get where I need to go. And in fact, we really found the opposite to be true, which is really backed by research and, and great books like Tiny Actions by BJ Fogg or Atomic Habits by James Clear, mm. that consistent very small habits that you work into the fabric 
of what you do day to day are actually going to drive much more consistent connections and results than usually what is more like a huge tidal wave of activity followed by exhaustion and a couple months of never wanting to (laughs) market again, followed by panic because you have no clients and then you hit the phones and email. And so tiny marketing actions is a way just to really uh, smooth that out to have a really consistent, you know, connection. And I'll say for those folks listening who may work inside a company who might have network building reasons that could be about connecting to professional networks outside to support your company or building relationships from a recruiting perspective in order to get to know uh, talent and, and people that are in different places, the same principles apply. Yeah, that's interesting. And I actually, I met Carly at your space. <laughs> um, that's right. I forgot that. Yeah. 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 I have a great photo of the three of us, uh, right at your, your front of your, of your, uh, your, your space there. So yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. She's great. She's, she's awesome. Um, and also, yeah, a fellow Canadian. So, you know, naturally <laughs> not biased at all. Um, but it's, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. What about for folks who maybe are growing something new, um, and they're, they're, they're anxious to, to land that new client or that first client. And they're doing these TMAs, as you mentioned, these tiny marketing actions, but they're not coming to fruition quickly enough when they, you know, you mentioned kind of what happens when they start to lose their patience. Like what do, what do they do? Yeah, this is a, there's a nuance to it because it, it, when you, at, at first when you're trying to activate things and you may definitely have an immediate need for, for business, there's a priority in the types of activities you do that you know strategically, maybe historically have led to the best results. Mm. So for example, to me, always the best place that I want to go if I'm ever in a spot where I'm like, oh, I, I need I need to really have more connections or more prospects, would be to go to past favorite clients or partners, people I know. I know a lot of business coaches that I, I'm very collaborative with. Sometimes they get really busy and they have overflow and ways that I can help. But uh, or favorite people that I have worked for in the past, although it's been 25 years for me, I've been on my own. So it's been a while. But, <laughs> right. but I, I'm actually still connected on LinkedIn with folks that I used to work with at Barclays Global Investors, which was my last real job. And mm. so you can be strategic about the kinds of activities you have that that are the most likely to you know lead to shorter term results. But overwhelmingly, It's like any kind of habit that we want to change. If we want to have better sleep, if we want to drink more water or start to move more, be more active or learn a language or learn a a new sport, it actually, if you just try to go all in and learn everything at once is generally where it doesn't work. It's, It's part of like the laws of physics and nature. And so sometimes in my coaching capacity, if I have somebody who is either early on in business, or maybe they have a side hustle where they're working full time, they have a side hustle, or they need to make something happen. Instead of, for example, uh, if they need to reach out and uh, get a whole bunch of new clients to sign up for some kind of a group offering, you know, one to many thing, and it's not happening fast enough. Mm. That's where I might say strategically, maybe you need to grab a retainer kind of project. Is -hmm. there something you can do maybe on the consulting side to stabilize what income you have coming in so that you can build up slowly test and try and see what are these kinds of tiny marketing actions that'll make sense over time. I'm not saying that you don't have sometimes specific product launches or I just launched a book. So you can bet there were a lot of activities that I I got rolling in relationship to that. Mm. But that's really just, if you look through the course of, of a year, maybe it's two, three, four times that you have those waves of activity and the rest of it is this slow and steady, tiny marketing action. So part of it is also setting your expectations differently. I was just doing a workshop yesterday for the Apple Developer Academy that was really cool. There were um, app developers from all across the world. And I was talking about building a network and was saying that sometimes you can identify really cool partners to connect with or influencers, people you you think can, could be great to grow your business. And it's wonderful if somebody responds and you end up having a conversation or moving it forward. 
but usually more often than not, you might get silence or Mm. nothing at all. And part of the emotional psychological practice of this is looking more at, am I taking consistent actions and, and tracking what it is that you're doing? So you might have end up having some stats where you say it's going to take me 20 outreaches in order to finally have a really productive conversation. And that could be really helpful because then you're just going to be doing more seeding, maybe using a little bit more of an organized way that you approach doing this where you can plant more seeds. I'm not saying just spam everybody everywhere, but there are organized ways mm. that you can you can plan your activities so that you won't have the expectation if you say, oh, I've reached out to five people and nobody responded. Once you begin to track some data, you say, no, my number is 20. I need to keep going to 20 and sooner or later, something's going to happen. Those, those are the things our internet marketing friends know who study conversion really closely. They're looking at the percentages. Sometimes you have, you know, one, two, three percent of people who convert, but those are the kinds of patterns we need to start to notice for our own businesses. It's pretty fascinating too. this, the, you know, being so deliberate and, and, and following this process and tracking it too, because yeah, to your point, I mean, it, it might take 20 touch points before something happens. And, and I, you know, I recently, or not recently, but I guess not too long ago, uh, started taking some advice from someone who was telling me, you know, if, if there's silence, keep asking until mm-hmm. you get a no or, or, yeah. or a maybe or, you know, or, or a call or whatever. But this idea, and, and again, getting back to your point about not spamming, but at the same time, you know, kind of scratching the surface enough to like finally break through. That sounds really like, sounds like I'm envisioning like a scab and blood and <laughs> that's not the way I'm talking. <laughs> it's like the worst scenario, worst example I want to talk about, but like to just touch touch points basically and seeing like how long it does take and whether, yeah, somebody comes back and says, no, 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 I'm not interested. Okay, cool. I don't know. Do you, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. Yes, absolutely. I was just coaching with a client today and and we were talking about a very similar thing where when you get to know a respectful way that you might have a set number of follow-ups. So for some people, they might notice that. And we're talking about if this is somebody who is completely unknown, more of a cold outreach or occasionally maybe somebody that was a past contact, Mm. but you hadn't heard from. For some people, it's helpful to have a bit of a rhythm where they might do their initial outreach And then they would just set the amount of time and follow up. So maybe a week, you know, five, seven days, then do a second one where, where maybe it's a little bit shorter of, you know, I know things are busy forwarding the message from before and saying, if you have a minute, could you just let me know if this is of interest, you know, something like that. And then maybe 10 days later, just to do a final, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure before I just close this door that, you know, this wasn't something you were interested in. And if you just hear nothing in silence, then it's generally the case where somebody just might be might be ignoring you. I notice it for myself. I and I I really try to be thoughtful to not uh, get mad if people are pitching me in my inbox because it's part of what I'm saying to my clients: take take chances, <laughs> reach right. out, make an introduction, not a canned very generic thing. Sometimes, which is like I always laugh when somebody says, you know, I sell protein supplements. And so I reached out to you as an expert, you know, (laughs) in the field, and I'm thinking, I have nothing to do with protein supplements. So delete. But if somebody has taken the time to actually reference something personally, and maybe I might 
thoughtfully ignore it mm. for the first moment, much like you walk into a you know cocktail party and you might say, oh, I don't think I really want to have that conversation. You know, somebody might just <laughs> avoid you by not responding. Yeah. But as a second time, if I get those follow-ups, now I have a pretty standard response where I say, I really appreciate you reaching out. This is not a fit for me right now, but I appreciate it. You know, have a great day. Mm. And very often, I know the person on the other side, often who are business development folks, appreciate it so much because yeah. they're not just getting some silence. And so I find it's just interesting sometimes in business that we know we want to grow our business and we're trying to be relational and connect. But sometimes I find we can ourselves get cynical of just like, oh, I can't believe these people who are sending these messages. And then it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we and our clients are also doing our best to, to connect and, and begin to start a conversation. So just having a little bit of patience with that. And then like the, the part of it, I'm going to keep going back to the psychology part because that's actually a huge part of what can keep you motivated and moving forward is if you do set a structure that might be related to maybe a timing that you have within your CRM where mm. you, know, you do your initial outreach, you pay attention to when you first reached out. And then at that time you send it, you put another reminder, you know, five days later just to check mm -hmm. and see if they haven't responded to send a follow-up that can remove a lot of the angst of continually refreshing your inbox. <laughs> if you see, if you don't have it, then all of a sudden you're adding all of these decision points for yourself. Mm. Should I send a message? Should I not? Is it too soon? Is it too, is it pushy? Yeah. Right. And so strategically, if you know for yourself, what is a rhythm that feels good or what is a, a follow-up format, it actually ends up, creating a container for your emotions. So you can send it, you can check off, put a Carly, I say in the book, she created gold stars for herself. Yeah. Every time she did her TMAs, you can <laughs> give yourself a gold star for taking the action. And then you let it go and you move on to other kinds of seeds that you're planting in other TMAs. And then on the day, when you look at your calendar for your follow-ups, it becomes more of something that you could just execute. And that saves people a lot of angst. Because what happens if you start to get stressed out and you have you add these extra decisions, should I email, should I not, then you end up taking much less action. That's really, yeah, no, it's great, great advice and so many things to think about. I almost had the, <laughs> while you're explaining that, I, I had the vision of, do you remember the movie Swingers? I don't know if I've ever seen it. Maybe okay. it sounds familiar. It, it it was like a it was a great movie, but it's kind of a comedy about dating. And there's you know this it's it's like a group of dudes who are like you know totally dating and and all this stuff or trying to and uh, and the guys like trying to decide when to text. Like after, after <laughs> right. meeting, after meeting the woman, he's like trying to decide when he should text her and they have this whole debate. No, like right away when you get home or not 24 hours later, no, no, make her, make her think that you're busy 48, you know, and they, it's all this going back and forth. And of course he like sends her like all these texts, like a, a whole barrage of like, like 20 texts. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, I'm sorry for sending so many texts. Oh, I, I hope we could still talk, you know? And she's like, delete. Uh, <laughs> It's exactly that. Yeah. I, thank God you and I are both very happily married, which I'm, I'm so yes, thankful for. Yes, but yes. like the, oh my it's gosh. so similar in what I hear single friends talk about with dating of, of the kind of feeling that you can also have when you're reaching out. Cause it's all about building connection and noticing if there's any kind of interest and not being pushy, but at the same time showing interest. It's funny. That's yeah. there's often a very, very clear correlation between the two. Well, and as you're but talking of course, about yeah. some important differences. Oh, yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, actually, Heather and I joke, you know, about this too, like looking at, at, yeah, modern dating and we're just like, oh, thank God. Like we couldn't leave each other now because we'd be totally lost. <laughs> right. Do I swipe right or up or left? Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I don't even know what to do. In fact, I'll tell you a very funny side to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these embarrassing stories. Um, uh, so there is an app called Bumble uh, for women. Uh, it's like a, a dating app. And basically the men pop up and the women swipe and they decide, you know, so it's mainly yeah. for, for women to use. And um, so it's a great concept. But when it first came out, and I'm completely unrelated, of course, but when it first came out, um, I understood it. And my book is about networking, so that was a topic that I was interested in. I thought it was also about a net, like a, there's a professional networking sort of aspect to it, and yeah. be, and being a nerd and and all and an early adopter to a lot of things, I installed the app, 
Now, this is a number of years ago, of course. And as soon as I installed, like soon after I got a, a, a my friend's ex-wife reached out to me <gasps> and said, Dave, I, you know, I didn't know you and Heather broke up. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. And like straight away, I like, I, I apologize. I deleted it. And then, and then like straight away when Heather came home, I was like, I've got to tell you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, it's air quote research, air quote. Right. I was like, yeah, sure it is, Dave. Right, exactly. So, so getting back to uh, to the conversation, you're talking about uh, or having a sort of a set of of touch points. Uh, do you? And you mentioned a CRM. Is there a CRM that you use or that you recommend people try, or just to help it, keep it, track of this stuff? This is the question. It. it I don't have a singular one because as I have learned what the, the first step is we think about it as a flow chart of the, the, if then arrows right. going everywhere, Sure. as much as possible. If I'm, if a, I'm working with a business owner on this, you want to look at what are you already using? And so just, just to not always be adding something brand new, if there's somebody that's already using some type of a you know CRM or project management software or something mm. in order to run their business or if they're a spreadsheet person in general to not have a whole added change management to your life mm-hmm. for adding new technology I would say just leverage what it is that you have and maybe add you know add to it I, I've seen people that create notion boards for those folk, folks who like notion that mm. that's more just a place in which you can capture information and move people through stages um, like Carly talks about using HubSpot. So I know that she's used HubSpot in mm. her implementation because she that's tied to the, the deeper steps that she does with, uh, with her clients, um, also including, uh, you know, contracts and all that stuff as she's moving people through the process of working with her. And, and there, you know, there's contactly and I, there's probably, you know, a hundred of them these days that, that do it. So mm. the, in general, I was just teaching a class today actually about that and looking at choosing tools. And and as a design principle, I would say, which is very lean startup approach, just start with your minimum viable need, which is generally for most people, a basic spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> and at first start with that. And then if you start to notice that you're getting lots of volume and it becomes complicated and you need to add things, then that's where you might look at what is that general environment of apps in which you, you know, live in. Hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes there's like complementary apps that you might work with. And then you could look at adding something. But at first, try to keep it simple and straightforward. Yeah, no, it's great advice. Yeah, you don't want to I often uh, I've read a blog post a long time ago that I, I called something to the effect of like procrastination through education, where we spend so much time, you know, finding new software and poking around or, or, or just listening to endless podcasts and reading endless books and watching endless Ted talks or whatever, and not actually doing anything with the information you're, you're learning. And so instead to kind of slow down a little bit and, uh, and to realize when you're doing it too, whether, you know, cause I'm a nerd, I like tinkering with, with new software and things, but then as to your point, you know, suddenly you've, and I've done this before where I've configured an entire, you know, software platform and then realized, yeah, I don't really actually even need this or it's not going to work for me. And next thing I know, you know, it's days that I could have actually been, uh, been doing better things. It's so true. Chris Lee, who was a dear friend, he moved with his family to Tasmania, where his wife is from. But he is works in the technology back end of you know my business has advised me for a long time, and mm. I would come with the app of the week of like I've got it. This is the new one, and he would just <laughs> glare at me and just say, "Just use what you have. There's no magic tool." Uh, of course, we know some might have a few fun features, but in general, implement and use what you have and start simple. Yeah. Good, good, good advice. So as far as, you know, I read that you, you recommend, you know, doing interviews with your past partners and clients. What, what should you be asking during those, those conversations? I mean, we've talked a little bit about that, but. Yes. Yeah, so the, the, one of the ways to think about it, if you conceptually part of what, part of what I'm advocating in, in, in the book and the approach to building your network is where slowly over time you begin to really understand and see this ecosystem of amazing people who are surrounding your ideal clients. So they're people who they're working with, people who they're connected to, 
<clears throat> and you know, connecting with great podcasts that they listen to. The metaphor I used uh, the other month when I was, that came to me is like the Justice League. Mm. So <laughs> if you imagine that you had 30 minutes to save the earth and you needed to call the Justice League of other complementary experts in your ecosystem, if you wanted to solve the problem that your business is in the problem of solving as quickly as possible, <laughs> then who would you call? Just the best of the best people with unique superhero powers. Yeah. Essentially, that's the vision. That's what we're trying to find. Because for our ideal clients and for our community members, we want to be that person where they say, oh, my gosh, you know, I was struggling with this issue. And you recommended the best person or ah, I came to your event. That was amazing. Where did you find that person? They were totally incredible. Mm. This product, I would totally use it. So this is the way that through time, that becomes part of your role. It really becomes a new lens of the way that you look at things. In the process of discovering it, because there's always far more opportunities and new markets than we ever visualize, we can only see what we know. Mm. So we start there with places that we know. But when we begin to ask ideal clients um, and and past colleagues, places where they where they hang out, where they get information, like I'm asking people about their favorite podcast, and just mm. to be specific around the area in which you do business. So for example, I would be asking my clients who are looking to build or scale a business, what are your favorite podcasts around the topic of growing a business? Like, right. I love This American Life, great podcast, but it's not necessarily related to business. So ask people something like that, because on a singular podcast, if you look at somebody who has high profile, whether it's Guy Kawasaki's or Tim Ferriss's or Brene Brown, automatically what what really great podcasts are you dave right now <laughs> <laughs> that, that for right right away what great podcast hosts are doing is they are inviting ecosystem partners to their audience who are offering interesting highly complimentary unique twists mm. and information to help their their listeners uh, do what they're trying to do and so just in identifying one or two podcasts that are a favorites all of a sudden, you can begin to uncover if they are good and discerning about who they have as guests, who can be maybe some people you hadn't heard about before. And it's like the nesting Russian doll metaphor, where once you even begin to look at, oh, wow, here's one interesting person who I didn't really know much about. And so you go and you see their LinkedIn profile, or you might go and look at conferences where they've spoken. All of a sudden, you can often find all of these other places in the ecosystem where this interesting person is going and moving. And mm. so at first, you, key questions could be podcasts for, for folks who likes that. Um, also asking about who are other service providers that right. you love and you work with. That's a really good, rich one. The two others I find at the top of the list are associations, because associations is very one-to-many, a very scalable thing. So let's say you have an audience segment for you, technology executives, mm. there are probably a whole number of different associations, some of which have local chapters and then national or global chapters that once maybe you dial in and you have a really valuable topic, you could begin to really move and work within that association and bring your message to a whole bunch of people. So within the slice of technology executives, you could have technology executives for SaaS companies, you could have female technology executives, you know, LGBTQ plus, like all these different variations mm. that can begin to give some dimension to how you can start to do your outreach. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome advice. I, I'm, I'm curious, who's a person in your life whose kindness helped to lead to your success? I always think of Guy Kawasaki, who I actually feature in the book, way back in 2006, when I was a baby blogger, <laughs> I had a very small readership, my dad, my sister, my best friend, and a few random people on Google. And I wrote a post called an open letter to CEOs across the corporate world. And on a whim, I had never met him before I reached out through email and did that tiny marketing action. I didn't call it that then, but I reached out just to share it. You know, I said, I've been following your work and I thought you might like this. And he responded right away and said, I love it. Can you make it a top 10? Cause that's a, his favorite format. Yeah. So I finished it. I sent it back to him. He published it on his blog and the next day it just went massively viral. It's actually 
where I first conceptualized the idea of a watering hole Mm -hmm. because I realized his blog at that time in 2006 was the perfect gathering spot for people who shared common values, who were interested in, you know, Apple and Macintosh. I've always been an, you know, Apple person, interested in entrepreneurship, social change. And so when I was able to connect in that one place with his community, all of a sudden my audience grew exponentially. Mm. And part of what I always appreciate is at that point, I didn't have, there was nothing I could formally give him, right? Like it wasn't, if he was looking purely at my audience size and why he should pay attention, why he should be responding to that cold email that I sent, Mm. uh, you know, in, in later years, we've since become good friends and I've known him for a really long time, but you know, he's, he was, he was curious and he was interested and he's always looking as a curator for his audience. He found something in what I wrote that he really connected to. And so I just appreciate that. And I will say as a, as a female founder through the years, as I've gotten to know him, he doesn't really publicize it, but he's done so many similar things for so many female founders behind the scenes. Mm. And it's actually really, really rare in that space. That's great. And Guy is such a a wonderful person. Um, uh, I've had some interesting run-ins with him over the years and he was actually on my, uh, one of my my earlier podcasts as well. Somebody I I need to speak to on this one. Actually, I need to reach back out to him. It's been forever. Um, yeah, Guy actually, uh, funny thing was, uh, I was at, um, there was a tech conference in Seattle back in the day called Gnome Decks. Um, and guy was speaking there. It was, it was a, you know, group of two or three, well, maybe 300 sort of early adopter tech nerds like myself. And, um, and he was speaking and, and he was like, everybody's on their computers. Like, you know, and we, and somebody yelled out, oh, we're on Twitter. This is like, oh, six, oh, seven. And he's like, oh my gosh, Twitter. And people were like, come on, or are you not on Twitter? And he's like, no. And he's like, do you really think I should? And so after after his presentation, a small group of us were talking to him. And he's like, you really think I should do it? And we're like, yeah, you should. And so he set up his Twitter account that day. And and what's funny is, because we talked about it since then, and he's like, really? And I looked back and yeah, sure enough, it was the day of that conference that he, that he first tweeted. Um, and then years later, during South by Southwest, myself and Julian Smith um, were standing at an event talking to him. And we're just kind of hanging out at one of the South by Southwest kind of party things or whatever. And Julian kind of looked down at his phone and looked up in, in shock at Guy, who had his hands in his pockets, and said, you just tweeted. <laughs> <laughs> he turned his phone around and said, how did you just tweet? <laughs> and guys like, I don't do that. My friend, I've got someone to help me with that. And we were like, wait, what? And it was like oh, crimes against social media. And we were just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe he's got someone doing that. And in this day and age, you're like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty, right? pretty ahead of the times uh, there guy. So yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's so I, we could, we could talk all day with guy stories, but it, it's so funny there at South by Southwest. This is a, another example of, of a watering hole mm. where you can see at certain places, this is highlighting an example of an event, mm-hmm. which can't wait till everything comes back. We can hang out at South by again, but I was having dinner with him. So this was after the book came out and we were actually doing a panel at South by with a blog to book people who had done blog to book like I did. And um, we were eating dinner at the, in the lobby at the Hilton, which everybody who's been to South by will know exactly where that is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there eating dinner with him and who walks by, but Ann Hanley, who Mm. I love dearly uh, from marketing profs. She stops by Zay Frank, who I was always been a nerd. I love him. I'm such a super fan. He just stopped (laughs) by to say hi. And then I was, I was walking away and leaving and Tim Ferriss was like sitting on the ground, like working on his laptop. So I'd like plop down and talk to him. And I just thought how in the world, if you imagine the amount of gatekeeping that it would take to sometimes break through reaching somebody, these people who, who are amazing and and super connected, but also probably have some, you know, some walls up it's an example of, of being in a strategic place where you can naturally be connecting with people um, that are hanging out. And again, it's, it happened to be through somebody, of course, where they were interested in stopping, stopping by and saying hi to him. But at its essence, it, when you get to the heart of what the work is about, 
it's not connecting transactionally because you're saying this is a super fancy person who has a lot of fans and followers. It's this is somebody whose work I respect so much and I am I'm creating and contributing things that are highly complementary. Mm-hmm. And that the more you can start to have this Justice League feeling of we really are on a shared mission in order to solve important problems, in order to make things easier for business owners, right? To mm. to be creating things that are going to make the world a more safe, fair, equitable, you know, equitable, creative place. That's where it can take a lot of the ick out of it. Because I know for myself, as soon as I catch myself hanging out or it may be going towards somebody just because I know that they may have they have some stature or they have a large audience, but I don't feel a true connection. All of a sudden, I feel like that awkward junior high student, you know, like going <laughs> to a dance. Yeah. Like all of my natural, just you know, ease and flow of moving through the world. All of a sudden, it just comes to a halt because I know I'm just doing something transactionally, right? And not because I'm interested. And for me, like my interest can be somebody who has zero audience, and then sometimes there is somebody whose work I admire who has a big audience, but. I'm interested in learning from them because they're truly interesting and they're contributing something. So conceptually, that's always a message that I want to include with this because uh, it's great if you ever have that opportunity. It really only happened to me once to go extremely viral with a post, mm. but it, it 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 is wonderful when it happens. But I think in the long term, as I look at what that relationship has meant to me and just what I've learned, it was because there was such synergy and and that that's what we're always looking for. Yeah, and I think finding your tribe that way is is so important and I think that's that's some of the the work you do with Call Main Street Learning Lab as well because it's it's a place where people can come together for events and for for training and things and and it's when it's when you can be that that point person whether you're running an event or 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 a space like you do. Uh, where you can be that ringleader, I think there's there's so much to be said for that because I mean, yeah, I love Hugh Forrest who who runs uh, South by Southwest Interactive. It's kind of his his baby, um, and because of that, because of all the wonderful relationships, or Chris Perillo from Gnome Dex when I met Guy and and these other folks who ran conferences back in the day or who still do. Um, who, yeah, I, I will always be, uh, be grateful for. Um, so yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. Okay. I'm going to move to the lightning round. I want to be respectful of your time here. So complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. I first is the first thing that came out to me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 I like finish it at the right time. Ooh, that too. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Very punctual. Good timing. Uh, what's a nice book that you recommend to the, to the nice makers? If you want to write a book about art, independence and spirit is the subtitle. And it's cause I'm on this guy Kawasaki memory, but that's one of his favorite books that he recommended. It is astounding for huh. those of you who love to write. It was written in, like 1934. It's an amazing, amazing book by Brenda Uland, U-E-L-A-N-D. Great oh, book. Nice. Cool. Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll include a link to that in the, in the notes. Um, how is Pam nice to herself? I think the biggest thing that I appreciate about the relationship I have with myself, I was just watching a probably a TikTok video yesterday (laughs) where I get all of my education um, (laughs) saying we we need to be mothering ourselves. We need to be, you know, mothering ourselves in the way that we wish we were, we were mothered. Mm. Uh, My mom did a great job. So nothing wrong with the way I was mothered, but I actually actively practice having appreciation and joy for what I do. Like anybody else, I can have doubt about what I did, but I have never in 25 years of business lost the joy and the feeling of accomplishment in creating something in, uh, you know, I might deliver a talk like I did yesterday. And I let myself have that feeling like I so appreciate that you showed up, that you walked through the the fear and you made a contribution. So that's, it feels like on a daily basis, I let myself have a lot of those moments. And so in general, I'm a pretty happy person. Are you able to always 
create or to give yourself permission to create? I mean, like for me, you know, when I'm, I'm hitting sort of lulls, you know, as a, as a professional speaker, as you, uh, you know, yourself included in that, you know, during, during the pandemic, obviously that's not been the best time to be a professional speaker. Um, and when you're not earning the, the money that you should be earning for your business and, and you have a family, you know, do you, do you ever struggle with giving yourself the permission to create? Yeah, it's a great question. I it, it, twofold. So on one hand, I've really learned, and part of this was due to my friend, Michael Bungay Stanier, uh, who wrote the coaching habit and, mm-hmm. um, it's a great recent book. I'm forgetting the title now, start now or something like that. Sorry, Michael. But anyway, he said, I was describing, I was frustrated when I was writing body of work, my last book about how I just felt like I was all over the place and I would write and then I get distracted and go on Facebook and research. And I I was judging myself very harshly, Mm -hmm. comparing myself to other writers who I imagine just sat down in an organized fashion and got stuff done. And Michael said, maybe that's just what your creative process is. Hmm. And it was the simplest thing, but it was so profound for me where I gave myself permission to understand that for me, as I look at the arc of what I've created, I always laugh really usually right in front of somebody when they say, (laughs) gosh, I can't believe how prolific you are. You get so much stuff done. I laugh because if I were actually working all the time, like they imagine that I, I am, I probably would be producing five times as much, (laughs) five times as many books and articles. So there is an ebb and flow in the kind of creative activity. And given what's happening emotionally, like you said, when you're going through some kind of a pivot in business or when business is down, which has definitely happened in in the 25 years, then it's really important to just get very precise about what is needed. And then it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. I really go back and I depend on the rhythm of connections, organizing things, doing consistent outreach, being very clear with myself to be, you know, celebrating the fact that I took action and to let myself, you know, slowly be building things back up as opposed to going in a full on panic mode mm. because that's the thing I, in, in the 2007, when we had the whole crash here, my husband at that time had a heavy equipment construction business and we went through, we were hit extremely hard in his business. And so I know what it's like on his side of just the free fall. It is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And I'm thankful that he's a, he's a traditional medicine person. He's a, he's a traditional Navajo healer is now what he's doing full time, mm. but he is such a calm person. And part of what he taught me is even in those times where it's so scary, you want to come back to that self love to presence. I would go sit outside and just feel the sun and take a nice deep breath and then come back to these small steps. What can I do today? in order to make a connection to, you know, have a conversation to send one email. And every time I tell you every time I, I like, should I really like send that email? <laughs> I've just sent three about my program. Every time there might be one more person who signs up. So maybe it's an extra whatever three $500 or something that comes. Yeah. But it's always that example of like, just take the step. So. Yeah. I love it. And that's a great point to, to end on is just to take that step. I think it's, uh, it's, it's great advice. Pam, where can folks find you and find your book and all that good stuff? I know where to find you, but where can they find you? Everything is centralized at PamelaSlim.com. And if you're specifically interested in the book, which I would love, it is PamelaSlim.com forward slash the widest net. And so there you can learn more about it. I feature all the people I feature in the book. I have links to them and their work. They're amazing people who are featured in the book. And then also you can, of course, find it wherever books are sold. And for our author friends listening or aspiring authors, I recommend uh, beyond going there to get the book, also go and look at that page because I was on there the other day and I was, yeah, I was really, I love the fact that you included headshots and, and links to the folks that you mentioned in the book. And, and uh, you know, you've got some great resources there as well. So yeah, really, uh, really well done. I appreciate that. I will. I'll, I'll give myself a shout out. That's okay. Right in the spirit of practicing. <laughs> we just won last week the best 
sales and marketing book of 2021 Woo-hoo. from Porchlight Books. So that nice. was a really unexpected and wonderful thing. So okay, thank you, Porchlight. Yeah. <laughs> Well-deserved. Well-deserved. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Please leave a review if you enjoyed this episode at friend.nicepodcast.co. And you can find show notes, links to other episodes, and lots of other goodies over at nicepodcast.co. Music by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. We'll see you next time and be nice. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.